June 2nd, 2022. Throw up the ball and let's do this. Sorry, overtimers. Day late, but 1,000%, not a dollar short. Hall of Fame official referee Ron Zecker. You want behind-the-scenes stories? This talk has them. For those new to the podcast, my name is David Oliver, and this is my Playground Overtime with Oliver. Conversation went a little long, and it's a good one, so the opening will be brief. If you like this episode, go check out previous ones with Earl Austin Jr., Ron Golden, and Coach Grower. Maybe throw in a Mike Bush or a John Hewlett, documenting St. Louis and having a ball. Ron Zecker, known for his success officiating basketball, we kicked this one off when he was umpiring baseball and admiring Phil Bradley, a member, of course, of the OT family. We talk about the Hall of Fames he is in, Norm Stewart stories, Norm stories, did I mention Norm stories? And throw in some great Billy Tubb stuff along the way. And unfortunately, yes, we talk about the UCLA game. Graduated from U-City, just re-retired from teaching in Ladue. He was adopted on day one, embraced it. Embraced challenges, embraced life. This one snuck up on me, knew it'd be good, but not this good. Welcome to the Overtime family, Ron Zecker. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. I don't think I saw Bill Bradley hit a handful of home runs all the years I was down there. Everything he hit was to right center, deep right center. Doubles, doubles and triples. And triples. Somebody in the big leagues or somebody in the minor leagues got him to kind of turn a little bit, you know, just to get that thing right. to the power alley. And he, yeah, he, he's a great athlete. He's the answer to one of my favorite trivia questions. Who hit the first home run in, at night in Wrigley Field? Probably Phil Bradley. And the reason most people don't know it is because the game got canceled. So he hit the home run, but then it got, it it got rained out. It didn't, oh, it got rained out, so it didn't count. And I made... A lot of drink bets <laughs> on that trivia question. I like that. I like that. Until the internet came. Yeah. And then everybody knew. Sure. All you got to do, do is Google it. Oh, yeah. You, you become real smart when you Google the internet, don't you? All right. I appreciate the time. First time meeting. Yeah. Studio okay for you? This is beautiful. There you go. Yeah. Here's what I wanted to talk about in, in addition to whatever you want to talk about. Sure. The kind of person who prevails from where you start to where you exceed is rare. And I didn't do a bunch of research, but I did enough to know the following. You graduated from U-City. I did. Barely. <laughs> it just counts. It it's a pass-fill, man. You know, hey, my what? mom, before you go any further, give a cutie. My mom and dad, they were great people. You might want that. to move that mic just a little bit in front of you. Perfect. I was adopted. Right. And at birth... So they were my parents, period. My mom, she told me, honey, when are you going to, are you going to really graduate? I said, yeah, I have to pass this typing course and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with it to get, to, you know, to get your, how many units you needed. Right. So finally I passed it and my mom sent out invitations for my high school graduation like four days <laughs> before. I wasn't sure. She, she, no, she wasn't going to send them out and make a fool of herself, you know what I mean? Or spend the money or on spend the, stamps. the money on stamps, yeah. So that yeah, was this because yeah. you were a good athlete at U City. I was a good athlete, and we just yeah. mentioned that you were adopted. I have a theory that you're allowed to slap my wrist on if I'm wrong. People who are adopted, maybe not sports, but whatever they fall into when it comes to being part of something, part of a team, they really gravitate towards it. 
more than those not who are not adopted, but don't feel that inner need to be a part of something. Slapping my wrist, or is there some validity to that? Um, I, I don't think I ever looked at it that way, but I, but I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I was, from the time I was really young, I can remember when I was five and six years old, I just, you know, I, nobody ever taught me how to catch a baseball, how to throw a baseball, how to hit a baseball, how to shoot a basketball, how to throw a football. Right. It, just, it just happened. And my dad, my adopted dad, mm-hmm. he gave me every opportunity to do anything I wanted in sports. He, he was, my dad couldn't throw a baseball from here across the room, my adopted dad. But he knew what I loved, and he, and he promoted it. You know what I mean? I mean sure. When I say he wasn't a crazy dude, no, you, he just, you, oh, you want to play in accordingly? We'll, 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 we'll figure out how do you do that. We had a basketball team with Sandy Pomerantz, who's one of my lifetime best friends. You've heard that name, Pomerantz? I have. Mm-hmm. He was a high school All-American. We played on the same high school team. We played down at Soulard. They had a gym on the top of the big Soulard market. I don't think I knew that. Had a gym up there, and we played there, and we were mostly Jewish guys. Not mostly. We were all Jewish guys from U-City. And we, we took a brutal beating verbally. You know, you Jews, you fucking... Because that's not funny. I shouldn't have Well, but. you know, when you're a kid, you just say, well, you play a little harder, right? Right. Play a little harder. But, yeah, that, that was a culture, you know. And um, I had one African-American student in a class of 424 when mm-hmm. I graduated. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Jewish? She was an African-American daughter of the custodian of U-City. Okay. And I've and I never, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think. I've always thought since then, what did that girl feel like every day, going to school? Would, because she would be thinking things that maybe nobody else was even thinking. She would just put that on herself. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and she turned out to really be successful. But I, I just, I, she had to feel terrible every day, don't you think? Being the only, or super proud, or, or proud that she's there doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah who knows what? Yeah. I would imagine there were conversations at the house. Yeah, she never, she never, all the little I knew of her, you know, we, we, I mean, I was involved in sports and running around with my buddies, you know, and she was doing whatever she had to do, but I, I never saw her without a smile, and she always seemed to be carrying herself very well. You graduate, and again, we're going to get through this to what people know more about you, but we're documenting your story, man. Okay, good. We, we did a little military stuff. Six-month wonder. Went to school after that. Oh, yeah. Was that common? Well, when we get it, if, if, if you yeah, want to get on, Yeah, oh, we're on now. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so I'll tell you what. I was very, I should have started high school a year later. But when I was adopted, nine, my mom was told she could never have kids. And my, they went everywhere. It finally got me. My mom, she's pregnant right after they get me. So I have a sister who's born nine months, almost nine months to the day after I'm born. So my parents, we can't have both of them starting school at the same time. We can't do that because what will people, you know, in those days. They'll do the math. Well, they wonder and, you know. Right. So my parents, we lived in Richmond Heights. And I tell my wife now, my second wife, they literally drove me up to the corner of um, Dale and Big Ben every sure. morning. Yeah, yeah. Put me on the city bus, 
because I could start school earlier there, see, in the city, and I went down to Drury School. On the bus? On the bus, by myself. Eight years old? No. Five. <laughs> Kindergarten. <laughs> Five years old. Happens I mean, all the time now, man. Well, well, how about this? So my dad owned a grocery store. Okay. And they had a, a, a Chinese restaurant right next door to it. And um, Is that Chinese restaurant still there? Oh, I don't on think Dale? so. Oh no, my my dad's my dad's grocery store was on Clayton Road, right next to where Lake Forest Bakery used to be. Okay, okay. So so my dad would have this guy Ollie. He was a, a African American who drove for my dad and delivered, picked me up at school. Now, this is no this is no baloney. I mean, it, it, I can't even believe this happened. So, the last day of school at Drury, I'm in the kindergarten. Well, they let us out at noon. But Ollie thought they'd let us out later at 3.30. Right. So I'm a little guy waiting out there, and all of a sudden, so I walked home. And I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> walked home. And this is, you're, we're talking early this, 50s, late this would be, 40s. This would be, um, I was born in 1940, so this would be like 1945, 46. Okay. I had uncles who lived Lucas and Hutton Natural Bridge. Oh, okay. Went to Slough High, hitchhiked every day for four years, and were never late. One time. They got truckers. They got normal routine, but there were some times where they needed to go, nice to meet you. Yeah, Can get, you take me to Slough? Take me to Slough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, if you t I have five daughters. Four of my daughters are married with kids. Listen, my four daughters, if their kids ever got into a car today with somebody they didn't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Disaster. My oh, my God. It would be, be awful. We used yeah. to do, we couldn't even be out, we weren't supposed to be out after the lights went on. You know how they had the street pole lights and stuff? <laughs> yeah. So, but we got kicked out as soon as the sun went up. So oh, it was sure. like 7.30. Yeah. Right. See you when the lights go down. <laughs> yeah. My mom listens to this. It's not totally true, but there was some truth to it. Yeah. But that's, so that's how, so... When you asked me previously about going in the service, so anyway, right. I, I, I I turned seventeen January of my senior year, so you can imagine how young I was. Right. My sister, she was a year behind me because that's how my parents wanted it. Mm -hmm. Well, it should have been reversed. My sister was highly, highly intelligent, and very mature, so she should have. <laughs> I should have been the one. <laughs> waited an extra year and what did her. your sister end up doing for my her si my, well my sister worked for um texas instruments from for many years in dallas hmm. and uh, uh we lost her about four or five years ago hmm. uh, cancer but she, she was a great sister i mean she was my i was her hero you know what i mean you hmm. know the older brother and and i always felt that my sister um i always felt that my sister my parents loved her just as much as they loved me, but I think my parents paid a hell of a lot more attention to me than my sister. Maybe because I needed more attention. Sports, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, my, my parents had to, had to spend a lot of extra time dealing with me as, as a youth growing up because I had, I had a lot of issues, behavior issues in school. And I was not a... Um, um, Behavior issues because of the adopted thing, or just no, because? No, I just, I just had a thing. You're um, just one of those kids. I just had a thing, you know. I had one teacher 
um, at Jackson Park Elementary School, Miss um, Margaret Palmer, she was the only teacher that I could remember in my grade school years who, who cared. And, and she really showed me a lot of love and she, and she, she kind of understood that I was kind of a hyperactive, kind of a little wild boy that all I wanted to do was play. You know, I didn't want to work, but I wanted, but I wanted to get on the playground and play. You know, put me out there, Miss Palmer, I'll be out there all day. You know, I'm in the, <laughs> you, you'll know where I am and everything. I'll never leave. And um, she, she was just wonderful to me. And um, it, it's kind of politically incorrect today, I'm sure, but um, she knew how much I loved baseball. She just knew it. She knew that was my passion. And um, the summer after um, my fifth grade year with her, she traveled and she sent me a postcard with an African-American little boy on it. And, um, it, and it said, honey, I still got the card at home. Honey, you haunts me. Hmm. Nice. And, and I got gotcha. you. Oh, and then she said, you know, I hope you're having a great summer playing baseball as much as you can. So I'm going to take a stab. Miss Palmer led to your affection in teaching. She, she, uh, she, she gave me a lot of motivation to help kids. I don't think I realized it when I first started teaching, but as the years went by, one day I was, um, a, a, now I was a football, high school football coach, freshman football at Ladue for 30 years, and I was a phys ed teacher, so I never had a real feel of um, what it's like to be a classroom teacher, okay. uh, particularly elementary school classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. So after I um, retired, I started doing some substitute teaching, and I substitute taught in Ladue at the different grade schools, but finally I ended up at Spady School because that's where I spent most of my life as a phys ed teacher. So I'm looking around, and I'm looking at these teachers, and and I'm seeing how they embrace the kids there and how they, um, they have special services for so many kids who have so many different needs, and, and, and it brought back my childhood at Jackson Park and I thought I never had this I had one teacher one I had another sixth grade teacher Laura Gibson and she taught me math the four basics re, uh, add you, subtract divide multiply I knew the three R's those, those four, well reading writing arithmetic but her deal with me was all math gotcha so when I was being a bad boy she wouldn't let me go out to recess till she'd put some math problems on the board and I'd have to do those math problems and get them correct, and she'd let me go. Well, I learned how to do all that stuff real fast because the faster I learned it to them, the faster I could outside. get outside. I and, I, and I behaved in her class a little better because I didn't want to go up to that damn board. And you just retired, correct? I, well, I, I actually retired from teaching right. back in 1996 or seven. Okay. Um, but I've... They allowed me to stay as a freshman football coach. Ladue was terrific about that. Which now has an award named after you. Freshman football award, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was That's fun. It, yeah, it's it's fun. It 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 um I don't know how well, they don't even have a freshman football team anymore at Ladue, like like many schools because there's not enough kids, so what they have now, they have a JV okay. and a varsity football team. But uh, every once in a while, um I, I hear from some of my old uh, freshman football players, and they remember that they were, okay, you know, Coach, remember me? I I got that award that year. I said, oh, yeah, right, you know, <laughs> you and 50 other guys. But, <laughs> but It meant something to them. Oh, yeah. it, it meant a lot to them. It sure did. It really did. And um, I used to let my coaching staff, uh, freshmen, I used to let those guys 
more or less decide who it was going to go to. Because as a head coach, I always had my favorite, and usually my favorite was a real smart quarterback. <laughs> I mean, so, so the same <laughs> quarter, the quarterbacks yeah, get it every yeah. year, you know. So I let the coaches, um, and it was it was all about. Obviously, you had to be a pretty good football player, but you had you had to be a really good citizen, and you had to be pretty good academically. Now, do you know Dick Weiner? Dick Weiner's a St. Louis U guy, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Okay, and he's one of those guys in high school sports that. More people, if they were like him, high school sports would be better. He just got it. And he was at Priory when I was at Priory for a little bit. But you're right, he spend, spent the majority of his time at SLU. And to this day, just like you, on Facebook or whatever, his old players will be reaching out and just telling them life lessons learned. Thank you for this. You went to Priory? I went to Priory. Graduate from Priory? I graduated from Priory. I have, okay, so I have a bunch of grandkids. I have, uh, quite frankly, uh, 15 grandkids. And my second wife has seven, who I'm very close to. So there's 22 little guys and gals. They're not so little. You did learn math. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but, um, so I'm Jewish. And my daughter Emily's Jewish. And she married a guy by the name of Joe Brockman, who is a Catholic, who's a DeSmet graduate, who told my daughter when, when they got married, our kids, you can raise them any way you want. So they were, uh, him and his sister had a, a, a double uh, bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah uh, ceremony together. Hmm. Luke Brockman's his name. Well, Luke Brockman is now going to be a junior, and hopefully he, might, hopefully he might be a starter for Bobby Mack next year at Priory. And my granddaughter, the one who... The little Jewish girl who was, right. she's going to be a freshman next year at St. Joe. <laughs> it's great. It comes I, lo- I love it. I love it. Priory's gym now is a real gym. When when I went there, it was a shoebox. Throw it on a wall. Let's say middle 90s, people started to get more interested in the high school arenas, in the high school, because they needed to recruit, especially if it was a private school. Right. So what did you see in the smaller gyms? that is missing now in the bigger gyms? Well, use Priory as an example. Um, Marty McCabe. Mr. McCabe's awesome. The, the best. Best. The best. I, I, when I first started officiating, I got into the ABC League. Okay. And there so, you go. So there you are. Marty McCabe, you go over to Country Day, Ron Holtman, oh yeah, Jim Lemon, yeah, even even Tom McConnell in the old days at, at John Burroughs, they named the football field after. But anyway, the gyms were small. One of the most unique gyms that I ever officiated in was at Roosevelt High School. Okay, it was on a stage, hmm, like Vanderbilt. Oh yeah, like but an elevated. Well, no, 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 no. This was in a. Where they kid, bring the kids in for the auditorium, you okay. know, and they have all their plays and all this. Well, they had this big stage up there, hmm. and the stage was a basketball court. And at the end of the court, on one end, there was a door. And and, and, and if a player went flying down and off the baseline and hit that door, he might be going down the steps. <laughs> okay. It was this, it was the strangest thing you've ever seen, Roosevelt High School. Hmm. Um, and I'm trying to sing now. You city. They had the most unique gym 
in my opinion, and it's still there. It's the same gym. They've added an extra court or two onto it, you know, off 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 of that building. It's been a while. But the U City thing, it's just it's it's just like their football field, you know, it's, it's like a dome. Um, but I think that the smaller gyms, obviously, for players, was probably better because you could, the crowd could really get into it and they were closer and everything else. Um, I, I officiated in the Normandy Christmas tournament for years. And it used they, to be the tournament. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we can talk about that if you want. I can tell you, I've, I got some real bad feelings as a guy who, listen, I, I refereed in that tournament for many years before I was fortunate enough to move up and, and you know, start refereeing college basketball over the holidays. But Vern Winter and John Masterson, they gave all these public schools in the suburbs an opportunity to play in that great tournament 32 teams 16 and 16 and then all of a sudden all of a sudden Merrimack's got their tournament MICDS has and and they lost all those schools after all those years and and I I really I I had a real problem with it when it happened I don't have a problem with it anymore I mean but no it was the tournament that's before my time, but I just all oh. the people that I know who were oh. around and oh. in basketball at that time. Some of the great ones. I mean, Bill Bradley played in that tournament, mm-hmm. and you could go on and on and on. All right, so we got something else in common. We've both spent some time in the MIAA. When was your time in the MIAA? I was a supervisor of uh, basketball officials, uh, men and women, for twenty-five years, and I and I'm I'm really. I don't remember exactly what year I started, but it was, um, uh, it probably ended in 05, maybe. That might have been the year I retired. The, the guy who hired me, a, a wonderful man by the name of Ken Jones, mm-hmm. uh, he was the commissioner and Johnny do everything guy. And I was um, uh, working at a, a basketball camp for Larry Brown. At the University of Kansas, we 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 had some referees there, and Larry Brown, you know, was there with his team camp. Won a title there, huh? He won a title there. Oh, he sure did. Nineteen eighty-eight. Yep. That was Hightower's first NCAA final. That was final. the Manning year. Danny Manning. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happened was, um, Ken Jones, I think, was going there to kind of try to recruit some referees for the MIAA. And he came up to me and he said, you know, uh, my name's Ken Jones. And he said, would you be interested in being a supervisor of our officials, men and women? I said, well, I said, what does it entail? And he kind of told me a little bit. And he said he just couldn't handle it anymore. He's getting older. He says, it's just too much for me to be the commissioner and to do that. I, I can't do both. And I think he, he was also doing the football. Uh, so he stayed with the football and I took over the basketball. And we had an agreement from the beginning and I just said, I said, listen, um, as long as you direct me to do whatever you want me to do for your program, I'm 100% because you're my boss. I said, but if I have to accommodate every coach and every athletic director and every president, I can't do the job. I said, and I don't want to do it. He said, nope. He says, I'll, it's me and only me. Well. And, he, and he honored it. And after he left, Ralph McFillin took over, who had been the uh, uh, supervisor and that's the commissioner of the Metro Conference. You know, the Metro Conference with Louisville and 
Slew. Slew? Yeah, you name it. Cincinnati, I think. Cincinnati. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, uh, Virginia Tech. Jay Randolph Sr., Saturdays at the Keel. (laughs) Yes, sir. So, yeah, so, and then Ralph was, he was a tremendous uh, boss, too. So I I really had two men that I worked for in that that conference that were terrific. And a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are going to like hearing about the Missouri stories, but this is what I wanted to talk about. Maybe the only story... No, I knew I was going to ask two questions. If the adoption thing came up, I was sure because you've been talking about it. The other thing was, you had a dream job, you lost the dream job, and you got the dream job back. That's a perseverance. That's something that everybody should not lose focus on. It was it was it was difficult when I when I got hired. Um, Bernie Sagaw was the. Um, supervisor of the Big 8 Conference in 1975. Okay. And um, I had just uh, officiated, um, I think it was two, or maybe I, I think I had either two or three um, Missouri large school championships in a row. Okay. And uh, Jack Miles was the head of Misha. And, and Bernie Sagaw's real job, other than this Big 8 gig, he was the same guy in Iowa he was the head of the Iowa uh, High School Activity Association. So Jack Miles recommended me to Bernie, and Bernie hired me. And I worked for Bernie for two years, and he was a terrific, terrific supervisor. But I wasn't – you know, you know, you think you're pretty damn good at something, and, uh, you know, you work three state finals, and you think you're the uh, – you know, you're, you think you're the end all until you walk out um, into the Hearns and uh, Norm's sitting on one bench, and uh, Tubbs is on the other bench, <laughs> and you're like, uh, uh, oh, oh, this this isn't like uh, DeSmet and uh, <laughs> Parkway Central. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> and so I, I had a really hard time, and we only had two officials at the time, not three. Okay. And, and I worked with some great veteran officials who tried to help me, and I wasn't a real good listener, or maybe I just wasn't capable. And you how old at the time? Uh, I was 35 years old. Okay. So we um, – you know, the first year he gave me like six or seven games. And the second year he gave me a full schedule. And um, I failed miserably. Okay? Okay. So I'm... Uh, you know, because, Ron, I've never been there before. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there, and I'm at home, and I get a letter from Bernie Sagaw. And I'm like, uh-oh, well, this is not going to be good. Well, it was a letter. It was Unbelievable. It basically, and I, 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 I tried to find that letter, and I, did, I don't know. It's probably somewhere in my house or whatever, piled under some junk. But it was basically a letter that said, Ron, um, let's talk about professional baseball. And every professional baseball team has a 25-man roster. And at the end of every baseball season, uh, generally speaking, they will – take that roster and they will remove certain people from that roster and bring other people on the roster to make to make that organization better get rid of some it's the gm approach yeah bring in some other ones right. and he said uh, that's what we're going to do here <laughs> <laughs> beautiful Ooh, thanks <laughs> you know so I, I was devastated. I mean, you know, you got to, you know, your ego is pretty, pretty high. You know, you're young. You've worked three state finals. You're working in the big eight. You're, 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 you know, you're a little bit full of yourself. Okay. 
So I took, I, had, I only had four daughters at the time. We got in the car, went out and visited my cousin out in San Diego, drove out there, made it. But the whole trip, I was miserable, and I probably wasn't a real good dad, and I certainly wasn't a very good husband, because all I was thinking about, I was consumed with, with me. So we finally get home, and I go up to the post office to get our mail, and it's piled up high. For, we've been gone about three weeks, and there's a letter in there from the Missouri Valley Conference. I open it, and it's from John Overby, who was one of the veterans that I worked with those two years. And John and I had a good relationship. And he says, um, please respond to this letter within 10 days. Well, it's been three weeks. <laughs> but I, but I want to hire you in the Missouri Valley Conference because I think you have great potential. And I'm going to talk to you about why you failed in the Big Eight. And I'm going to give you a couple of things that you need to do. If you do them, you can work for me forever. If you don't, I'll fire you next year. And then he goes to the Big Eight, and you follow him there. Yeah, and then so I get hired in the Valley. I explained to him why I didn't get back to him right away. Right. And then he gets the job in the Big Eight also. And so now I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like... I went from the went from the graveyard back up to the penthouse, and 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 at a, at a time where both the Big Eight and Missouri, in particular, start to flourish. Oh yes. So nineteen eighty, if I got my math right, was the first year of Stepanovich and Sunville. Yeah, I probably came in there. I was in the valley at that time, and then John took over. I think a little bit after Stepanovich. Because I, 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 I refereed a lot of games at Stepanovich's in high school at DeSmet. Right. But I never had him in college. And um, Norm, I went to Missouri as a freshman. Okay, that's the only school I could get into. Because <laughs> you didn't have to have anything in those days. You just had to a <laughs> sign your name and show up. Yeah. So I was a freshman baseball player. And he was a freshman baseball coach. Norm was. Yeah. Okay. So Norm... Norm tells today he'll say this, you know, because Norm is Norm. He say, you know, if you were if you if you were then what you are today with your arm, he said you'd have made you'd have been a millionaire. I said, sure, Norm, you know, right? He said, but the only thing about you is you had a hard time finding the plate. And when I used to watch you in freshman baseball in batting practice, I always made sure I got behind the screen, not in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, but he, but he, but you know, he intimidated me at first. He intimidated everybody. I mean, he really intimidated me. And, and if you look at that conference, a lot of the head coaches were all, Johnny Orr was an intimidator. Oh. Billy Tubbs, we'll talk about, we're definitely talking Billy Tubbs in oh, a second. Oh, yeah. Here's what I loved about it in regards to games at the Hearn Center. My dad had tickets right in front of the Antlers. And some friends would come <laughs> with me to watch games and they'd be like, oh, this you have great seats, but you're right in front of the antlers. And I was like, dang straight, we're right in front of the antlers. This is the best place. Best place in town. In the arena. So talk to me about the antlers. The antlers, well, I could tell you one one really, I think it was the end of their reign down low. Remember when they moved them? Sure, yeah, brilliant decision. I, I had the game. Okay. And a Grayer, who was, he was a great player for Iowa State. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he had had something that happened with Grayer and his mother. And and these antlers got real real ignorant. Yep. And, and and Grayer, this is before the game. You know, they were doing a little shoot around. And um, I, and Grayer, I didn't see it because I was in the locker room. But Grayer apparently went after these guys. He did. Yeah. Went in the stands. Went in the stands, and that's when they uh, they told the uh, antlers, um, "You're still welcome, but 
Instead of being in the first row, you're going to be in the 377th row. Well, we can't hear you and the players can't get to you. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, but Norm, Norm, Norm loved him. And I, I'll tell you a good story. Um, there's a, there was a guy named Rich Stoneham who was a very, very marginal referee in the Big Eight. But he was in the Big Eight. So, you know, people could say marginal, but he still was pretty damn good to get in the league. But he, he, he had a real he, – he wasn't a really good game manager. So they're playing the last game of the year. It's when they had a great team, Missouri. And they're playing Colorado, and they're beating them by 35, 40 points. I mean, it's, a, it's just a, a kind of game where a referee, hey, man, just go up and down the floor. <laughs> don't even blow it if you don't have to and go home. Right. So um, they started playing three blind mice on a call that Stoneham made. <laughs> So Stoneham, he teased the band director. Norm Rubling. That's Norm Stewart, one of his best buddies. I know. <laughs> so that was the end of Stoneham. I mean, that was the end of Stoneham. I mean, his, that, was, that was a very short-lived Missouri experience. So too, You don't tee up Norm's wife and you don't tee up Norm. Other no, than that. That's right. Leave Virginia alone. And why, I, why, I had a tee on Norm in the big eight tournament that's – you want me to tell you what happened there? Sure. Did he, he forgive you? Oh, he. Well, yeah. I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay. So they were playing Oklahoma, and it was a um, it was a semifinal game, and Oklahoma was just beating the daylights out of Missouri. I mean, they it's when Oklahoma was really good, and Missouri like was good. and that kind of. Oh stuff. yeah, they're 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 destroying them. So Norm, he's he's like running down the sideline. Now he's stomping his feet, and he's and he's going. For timeout. So, so I said, you want a timeout? And, it's, and the press rows right next to his bench. Right. They're all there. He says, I don't want to. Can I say it? Sure. I don't want a fucking timeout. I said, what, what, what do you want? I want a fucking tea. <laughs> Give me a fucking tea. Well, I had no choice. Sure. I mean. Just, Man, boom, ask for it. Boom, tea. Takes his team over. And I don't know if that tea didn't fire those kids up or if Norm didn't just, just jump there. Well, it came down to a two-point game. And Oklahoma won it by two. I mean, they, they must have been up by 15 to 20 points when it happened. So I get a phone call from my boss, from Johnny Overby. He says, you know, um, Carl James is really upset about that technical foul you gave Norm. I said, oh, really? What's his problem? He's a commissioner. Right. <laughs> he said, well, he, he, he just doesn't understand. I said, well, you know what? I said, there was about, God knows how many newspaper people sitting right there. And Norm Stewart yelled, give me a fucking tea. I don't tee him. What do you think those newspaper people are going to say about our conference, right. right, and how we deal with coaches? And it ended. Nothing ever came of it. But, um, you know, when I got inducted into the – What Hall of Fame are you not in, sir? <laughs> any academic Hall of Fame there is in America, I, I can assure you. I, I'm in no academic Hall of Fames. So Norm, um, when I got inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, uh, Norm's a member for years, you know, long before they ever thought about me. And uh, I took my grandson, my oldest grandson, with me. And uh, I've got pictures at home. Someday I'll come by here and share them with you. Sure. How Norm embraced his kid that whole weekend. Hmm. Had his arm around him, took pictures with him. Uh, Bruce Suter also went in with the same year. Walt Jockerty, 
Jay Randolph, Jennings a, Randolph. That's a hell of a class. We all went in together, yeah. yeah. You know, as they say, um, in that class, I would view myself as the um, – Tenth man on a nine-man softball team in that class. But you're on the team. I'm on the team. It's I, like you, it's the I, Hall of Fame. I was I was a substitute. Nobody, nobody says that guy doesn't deserve to be in That's the Hall right, of Fame. Right. So I know one game that you've been you were at that we're going to talk about. But a couple questions: Were you at the Billy Tubbs game in Oklahoma when he took the microphone? and incited the crowd. No, Hightower and Jim Bain. What did you think when you saw that? I truthfully and I and I have the greatest respect for both those guys. There's a whole history of that game before that game. That's when Norm got sick, sick as hell. Airplane, yeah. And and Norm, you know, they rushed him to a hospital and so uh what the hell was the, uh, the assistant Daily. coach Daly, Rich Daly. Rich Daly's coaching against Billy Tubbs. And, and I think and it would how to call a timeout. I thought, oh yeah, in the <laughs> Illinois game. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Hindsight's great, right? But I would have hoped if I was refereeing that game when Tubbs did that. Now Cost we'll make him. now we'll make it easy. It'll right. be even now. Now you can leave too, and now we'll see. We'll see who's the best assistant coach, right? I mean that was crazy. And then the other game regarding Tubbs, were you at the Mizzou Oklahoma game? The first time he got back to Columbia after getting hit by the car jockey. It was my first year in the uh, Big Eight, and I, and, I, and I think I'm I think I'm remembering this correctly. So I had a Oklahoma, Kansas game on a Saturday night, and I was a puppy in the league. You know, I after the game I got in my car. You know, I wouldn't think of staying in a hotel maybe and going next morning. Oh, we got to drive home. You know, <laughs> down the highway. Next morning, I wake up. And there it is all over the news that Billy Tubbs has been hit by a, a vehicle. Jogging. Jogging. Mm -hmm. And what happened, I, I found this out from Enos Seymour, who was a baseball coach at Oklahoma. And I, I was umpiring an Oklahoma game, and I said, what, what really happened with Billy? He said, well, he was jogging down the street. It rained the night before in Norman, and there were big puddles of water. And Billy was running with headphones, and he dodged the water and found a car mm. and he said for him to be alive it's it's incredible i don't know how far he was airborne after he got hit and, and then it landed on the cement and tubbs would tell great stories about how norm would reach out and you know they were really good friends oh until, they got oh yeah until tubbs recently passed oh yeah so were you at the game when they wore the t-shirts i guess was no was i wasn't at the game so this is what makes billy tubbs funny and a nice guy in my mind. Oh, I love Tubbs. I so love them. It's the first game that he's at the Hearn Center since the accident. And the Antlers have printed up T-shirts that say, I jog with Billy Tubbs <laughs> and tire marks down the back of their shirts. Oh, you got to love it. And he wrote, he, he took pictures with the oh. Antlers and it held up the shirts and the whole well, thing. Well, I'm at the, uh, a Big A tournament, and I don't remember the hotel we're staying at, but Oklahoma uh, apparently is staying at the same hotel. And... um I, I kind of knew Tubbs' wife, you know, because I had refereed so many games. You know, she'd always say, oh, hi, Ron. You know, yeah, we did that. And his daughter, he had a gorgeous daughter. And she was a, uh, she was on one of those teams, either a cheerleader or, a, a, you know, pom-pom girl. I mean, beautiful. So I'm in a lobby. And the daughter is standing there. They're in shorts, ready to 
take a run. It looks like a jag. You know, there's about 10 girls, and one's more beautiful than the other. So I said to her, I said, what's, what's going on? We're going to go out for a jog. I said, you're going to leave Dad behind, aren't you? Yeah, she she laughed. I mean, they they they're they're a great. They're oh my gosh, Tubbs. I could tell you Tubbs stories. When he they went, they were all great. Maybe maybe Danny Me wasn't very cool. I liked him. Okay, he was a good guy though. Listen, think about this, Tubbs, mm-hmm. Larry Brown, mm-hmm. Norm, Johnny Orr. How about? The Oklahoma State guy. Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton. He was no baby. And that was at the time, too, where they got on ESPN Monday night. Yes, sir. So the league's profile, oh, huge. So so those those five guys. And then, well, before Danny Knee, one of the craziest guys of all time, what a beautiful guy. He passed away way too soon. Joe Cipriano in Nebraska. Him and Norm were like this. In fact, Norm had just fixed him up with a really beautiful woman because he had lost his wife, Joe. And he had fixed him up with a beautiful woman in uh, from Columbia. And he was seeing this gal, and then he got cancer, and bing, bang, boom. Funniest thing Norm ever said to you during a game? Well, he, he, he said it to me at halftime. There was a... a, a, a it was a Kansas-Missouri game on a Saturday afternoon at the Hearns. And Norm, I'm trying to remember exactly how this took place, but Norm challenged a rule. So I had to go to the scoring table and go over what he was trying to do. And then it turned out that Norm was way off base. So he should have been charged a timeout, right, an extra timeout right then by rule. But And I was with two very young guys, okay? So we're in the locker room at halftime, and I said, hey, guys, you know, <laughs> we screwed that up out there. We got, we got to stick a timeout on Norm when we go out there. And both of them are sitting there. Not me. <laughs> That's not, not me. So I said, um, which one of you guys want to tell Coach Stewart, you know, that, <laughs> that he's got uh, th- four timeouts, <laughs> not three? I said, I'll tell him. So we go out of our locker room. They, they moved it since, but it was right next to Missouri's locker room. So he's standing there, band still doing his. I said, "Hey, coach, um, I got I got some bad news." <laughs> he said, "What's the bad news, huh? Come on, you know I'm real sarcastic." I said, "Well, I said, you know, when we had that conversation, and by rule you were wrong, you were supposed to be assessed uh, an extra timeout. So we'll just do it when we go out there." He said, "You know, that sounds great. It's a fucking junior high rule." And you're a junior high referee, so go do it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, a, I, it's classic. We, I hope he comes on the show sooner or later. Oh, I you got to get him down here. Try and say nice things about me. I will. <laughs> uh, I was a CYC coach, so let's take this down a level, right? Okay. And you usually had the same refs all the time. <laughs> same guys, yeah. And so one of the snarky little things they used to do – and. The reason I'm telling this long form is because they were usually the same two guys or two of the same four guys. And my thing in basketball was always when there was a call that went against us, I would just say, not scream, but say, that's okay, we'll get the next one. Well, we had a new group of refs, and I wasn't paying attention. 
About the third time, I said, well, we get the next three guys. Don't worry about it. And he comes over. <laughs> get, get you. you didn't know and those guys. Did and I really was like, oh, wait, you're new. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't this really, is I didn't really mean that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. But um, I, I was working a game. I don't know. It was at Texas Arlington or something. I was on a swing. That's when Dale Kelly had like five leagues, so you had to work some games in those. Okay. So I'm standing across the floor, and it's a real dark old gym. It's like a Hoosiers gym. It's a horrible old gym, and I'm looking over there, and um, I swear it's Billy Tubbs. I just I could I swear it's Tubbs over there, and uh, uh, Lamar is playing in this game. Well, that's where he started, Tubbs. That's right. Lamar, Texas. That's where he started. He mm-hmm. was a head coach here, so. Um, I figure I got to go over before the game. Screw it. If that's Tubbs, he's not another coaching, but he's sitting. Like, mm-hmm. I went over there. I said, Tubbs, what the hell are you doing here? He says, Oh, he says, I, I follow my my alma mater around as much as I can. You know. I said, Well, good to see you, man. The next year, he's the AD at Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> can't make it up. Yeah, you follow him around till. till Oh, boy. All right, so for Missouri fans that don't want to hear about UCLA, uh, this is where you pause the podcast. Three, two, one. Missouri, and Mizzou, UCLA, top three heartbreaking moments in Missouri basketball history. Absolutely. And two questions for you. One is, are you allowed to comment that before that final play started, you were wondering how come they didn't have anybody on the ball? I... I was and this at, is without film and oh, all no, the research oh, yeah. history of the coaches. Sure. Just as a person watching a game, weren't you? Could you have maybe been like, oh, I don't know about this? Oh, I well, here, let me let me just tell you exactly. I was uh, asked by a couple local news guys to right. come on their show the next day to talk about that game, and I said I'll talk about the game. But if you, if you ask me anything about the coaching, I said, it, it, it's, you're not going to get an answer from me. I'm not going to second-guess anybody. But, yes, today, to me tell you, they had those two Haley's. Right. They were both seven feet tall. They couldn't do anything. But I'll tell you one thing. They could sure as hell make it hard to throw the ball <laughs> on a direct, perfect pass to a guy. See, he didn't go the length of the floor. You saw where he caught the basketball. He caught it right about the division line. And then they had it, they had it set up right, but Sutherland – Decided to become a hero, and so Norm. I looked at him. The three, the three of us got together. The three officials, while they had that timeout, and we all, you know, I mean, we're there. We're supposed to have some pretty good common sense. The three of us, and basically, hey, don't don't fuck this game up. It's been too good of a game. We they don't even know we're here. No ticky tack falls. Oh no, nothing. Right. I mean, I mean, they don't even know we're here. The kids are shooting so well. I haven't heard boo from any. You know, Herrick once in a while because he was not a very good guy. But other than that, nothing. So, the game ends. You know how it ended. So that summer, I'm down in Columbia, and there's a, a referee camp, and uh, we're 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 helping Norm with his team camp. So he walks over to me. He says, hey, I got to talk to you. What the fuck were you three guys talking about? I said, well, 
You're not going to like this. <laughs> we, you, you know, we were just saying, you know, no ticky tacks. Make it, make it for real. He says, "Son of a bitch." He said, "I knew it." He said, "I should have told our guys and knocked the piss out of that shooter <laughs> and make you guys make a call, see if he had the guts to make it." And they play that freaking thing every March. Every March. I know. And uh, it, did you ever do a uh, Missoula Illinois game at the never, arena? Never. Okay. No. That must. That probably would have been fun. I would. I would have liked it. The only thing is. You know, if if you do the Missouri Illinois game and you're a St. Louis guy, there's no way you come out of that game without yeah, half the people thinking yeah. thinking yeah, yeah. you're the biggest prick in town. You know. <laughs> okay, one of my favorite places, unfortunately, to see a game was out on the Fieldhouse. Oh boy, just the way it's a, it's a high school gym that goes straight up. The most physical game I ever saw. I used to write for UPI, so we had courtside everything. Sure. It was. Oh shoot! I'm gonna forget his name. Cincinnati, it was Kansas, big white guy, center. Drooling. Was it maybe? Was it drooling? Whoever it was against Doug Smith, just beating the crap out of each other for 35 minutes. When did you draw the line? Because if they had called fouls in this game, they would have, they, no, they would, neither one of them would have been there by halftime. Right. So well, how, do you, how do you get the tempo of a game? Well, you know, when you're, when you're the referee on a game, that means that you know you're kind of in charge of the other two guys. You know, you're you're the crew chief. Hookups, okay. whatever that. Once the game starts, you're all, you know, we're all the same. So I would always tell I would always tell my crew when I was a referee, look, if we're gonna have uh, a ticky tack hand check early in the game, then we're gonna have to have that ticky tack hand check the whole game, and and you can't have a ticky tack, and you can't have nothing. And I can't let them knock the shit out of each other. That's when the game's going to go to hell. So we got to all be on the same page. And hopefully, you know, if we're all on the same page, they can complain all they want, but everything's being done the same all night. I personally, um, I, I was not a stickler on, on a little nonsense stuff, but I always felt that the dribbler with the basketball Hey, you can't keep you can't keep moving him. You you know that it's dribbling a basketball against competitive players like in the Big Eight. I mean, when you when you're hand checking that guy, and so I I was I was a stickler on that. I had a game at Ohio State one night, and the first half we really let the two guards just literally beat the shit out of each other, and it just it just happened. You know what I mean? It just got away. Mm -hmm. And I told our guys at halftime, I said, you know what? If we don't, if we don't, I mean. I'll talk to both guards when we go up there. But I said, if we don't get this thing under control, we're, we're going to have a real problem before this game's over. Okay? It's just, so I got the two guards together. I said, listen, so you know, we let you guys play way too much the first half. We, we, we let it go, and it's on us. But we're not going to do it this half. We're, we're not going to have this thing turn into a, a shit show. They, you know, they, so the first time... Bing, bing. Hmm, I think he meant it. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that was it. But sometimes it just gets away from you. Sometimes you're working with, even on that level, sometimes you're in a game with, maybe there's one guy who just is not blowing his whistle for whatever reason. Maybe he's just slow that night, or maybe he just doesn't want to make a call. You know, you, you never know. You ever seen the movie Forget Paris? No. Billy Crystal's an NBA ref in that movie? I heard about it. The movie's it. not good. His part's kind of funny. 
put the romance and don't don't run home to go don't, see you know, it. Don't don't but don't don't, don't go over to the red box or whatever they call yeah, it. I'd be curious to see your thoughts. ABA, you got a fun ABA story? Well, the year that Bernie Sagar. Well, I, I'm going to go back. See, because I'm now I'm. Bernie hired me in 1975. And then about an hour after he hired me, Olson, Bud Olson, Bill Olson's brother, Bill Olson was the AD at Louisville. Bud Olson was a supervisor of the ABA. And he called me. He says, We liked you at our camp. We're, we want to hire you. So I figured, well, I'd rather be in the pros and, you know. So I called Bernie Sagaw. And I said, Mr. Sago. I hate to do this, but. And he said, well, if you, if it doesn't work out for you, you, there'll still be a job here for you. And I thought, yeah, we've heard that before, right? (laughs) Well, he honored it. He really did. So I go in the ABA and they've got, um, I think, I think when they hired me, they had 10 teams. And so you want, it's a funny story. It's real funny. So uh, after two weeks, they had eight teams. (laughs) After two weeks, they had eight teams. And then a couple of weeks later, they had like five or six teams. And I got a phone call from Buddy Olson. Uh, Ron, you know, you were the last hired. <laughs> we, we, don't need, we don't need any more referees. We don't have enough teams. So I went back and refereed high school basketball that whole year. And uh, then Bernie came through the next year. Nice. He was honest. Was Dr. J in the league then? Yes. Do you remember Coach Bartow, Tom Bartow, I guess it's nephew of Gene Bartow. Well, Gene Bartow was the basketball coach at St. Charles High School in 1957 when uh, Ron Zetcher and Sandy Pomerantz were on a great U-City team. We lost five games that year. Two of them were to St. Charles. who won the, They won the state championship, and their coach was Gene Bartow. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I went to – Gene had a camp somewhere in Kansas City. And Tom Bartow was really my connection because I used to do play-by-play for the Umsel games. Skip Irwin, too? Yeah. (laughs) Skippy. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, 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 (laughs) Skippy. We know him. That's a 17-point play. So, (laughs) uh, Larry Drew was there. And he told the Dr. J story where he's running back on defense. He settles at the free throw line. He thinks he's got Dr. J under control, and the next thing he saw was just Dr. J's shoe flying over his head. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. He was so good. And I'll tell you who else was great in that league. I, I didn't rep that many games, you know, but uh, Tiny Archibald. Right. He was phenomenal. And then we had the, we had the um, great Marvin Barnes, <laughs> the spirits here. Do you ever heard the Bob they, Costas they, they some, I met Costas. When I started refereeing in the ABA, did he look twelve? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. What a good guy he is! He told the story about the basketball. Who did you just mention from the Spears? Marvin, Marvin Barnes. So he got he got a plane ticket to go from St. Louis to Chicago. You leave at ten. You get there at nine fifty nine. I'm not riding in no time machine. <laughs> I'm not riding. No time. <laughs> I might not even told that right. Uh, no. Basically, it was a short flight, oh, and they were getting yeah, there. I know. He, <laughs> Marvin Barnes. Yeah, that was something. Casas tells a story. Uh, Twenty-one years old, 
somebody came OX, asked him, how old do you think you would look if you grew a beard? And he said, probably around 30, because it'd take me nine years to grow it. <laughs> I like it. Well, he's a witty guy. I belong to this one, two, three club. You ever heard of it? No, sir. The one, two, three club is um, it's composed of all sports guys from St. Louis. Um, and I, I, I could name guys who, you know, who were in there, who were in there, who've, who passed. Well, Casas is a member. And uh, Whitey Herzog's a member. And... Um, uh, it, it, most of the members, they don't get in there when they're very young, and so it's a very old, kind of an old, older uh, a men's club. No women, no women allowed. No women. I mean, are you kidding me? How dare we have a woman in this club? You know, <laughs> and, and uh, Dewitt's in there, uh, the young Dewitt. And, One, two, three club. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take you. Um, they they go every Monday. They meet at, uh, they, they used to meet at the pasta house on Delmar till Tucci passed away. He was a member and he, so now they're, they're meeting in, um, in Kirkwood at, um, there's three or four of these places in town. I have, uh, uh, Freddie G's? No, not Freddie G's. It's, uh, uh, they have one in, uh, on the corner of, uh, Clayton and the 141. Duffy's. Duffy's, yeah. They meet at the Duffy's. See, this is riveting radio. Listen, listen <laughs> So that we can figure out where Duffy's. That's at. right. So, so they have Duffy's. They they meet there, and I haven't gone because I was subbing all you know every single day almost right. this year. But I'm going to go this summer, so I'll call you and you'll go with me. You you, you they, they, it's great. It really is. Well, I am so glad we found the time to sit down. And I know you've got some illnesses and some yeah. things. Well, going on, I've got. I don't. I mean, I'm. I don't have to be anywhere for about an hour, but it's been good. You know, if you if there anything else you want to talk about, we can talk about it. I, I guess the one thing maybe that we didn't touch on, and it'll be my last question. Sure. I say Rich Gray. You say what? I say Rich Gray. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, I I worked for the um, Elite One Hundred Camp, uh, which Rich Gray is the head of the um, Eagles. And uh, the Elite 100 camp every summer, uh, it's, it's been put on hold the last two years because of the pandemic, but they would bring in the top 100 basketball players in the country into St. Louis, Nike did, and, and Rich Gray, of course, is the head of the Eagles, and they were the ones who, who were the sponsors of this. But Rich Gray, I was called into um, the, the – uh, I'm not going to mention any names because I'm embarrassed – about what happened, but uh, the athletic director at Ledoux called me in and told me that they were going to interview this Rich Gray for the uh, girls' basketball job at Ledoux. Hmm. So I said... I've um, never heard this one before. Go ahead. Okay. So I said, well, I'll be glad to come over and talk to you, but I said, I can just tell you over the phone, I wouldn't even bother interviewing anybody else. Just hire them. Well... You know, so I went in and I told this guy everything about Rich Gray that I knew. And, you know, and I said, my gosh, you could just ask anybody in St. Louis. He's, he's, not only is he a gentleman, he's a, he's a very, very smart guy. And he's, he's highly, highly ethical. So uh, they listened to me so well that they hired somebody else. And, and, and I'll tell you what, it, I, was, I was more than pissed off. I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? Don't you ever ask me to recommend anybody for anything again because you, you don't have the good sense to know what's good. So 
the person they hired did, did an atrocious job. And the next year, they hired Rich Gray. Okay, yeah. so it was a year late. And he, well, he developed that uh, uh, Ledoux of, uh, girls basketball team. Those girls, they, they, they worshipped him. They adored him. And when he suddenly died, you, you have no idea the impact that had on so many of those girls at that school. I know, because I'm around Ledoux a lot. And uh, I will say this, they uh, sometimes when you make a mistake, at least if you... Um, reckon that you made a mistake can you make it better the next year so they hired him but it was a year late it was a year way too late great man great man you know how i got the job rich gray asked hightower if he wanted to run this elite camp in the summer just about 25 years ago 20 years time goes by um Vince Estrada is the St. Louis guy who does most of the stuff for the camp. I know of his, maybe not the same guy. But yeah, Maplewood, he's a, a school teacher in Maplewood, a great guy. So um, Hightower says, well, I, I, I can't do that in the summer. I'm so busy with the school, and he's a superintendent. Call Zetcher. That's how I got the job. Rich Gray called me, boom, bing, bang. <laughs> Sometimes you got to be lucky, right? The blind squirrel finds the acorn. <laughs> I, I love Rich Gray's stories. And that was a good one. Oh, Rich Gray's, what a loss. What a loss. And another one for the books. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend. Come on by and see us again Thursday. Original Bat Time, Original Bat Channel. As we do. Thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.